You're listening to a Glasgow Women's Library podcast. This is part of our 21 Revolutions programme, celebrating two decades of changing minds at Glasgow Women's Library. For more information on the library, our 21 Revolutions programme, or any of our other work, visit our website at womenslibrary.org.uk. Hi, I'm Laura Marney, and I'm a writer, novelist mostly. I um, was inspired to write this piece through a book that I found in the Women's Library, which was um, Barbara King Solver's uh, novel, The Poisonwood Bible, and also a poem that I absolutely love by Kathleen Jamie called Meadowsweet. Um, and I somehow managed to amalgamate both of those ideas into one short story. At the time, I was per- I was really interested, I still am really interested in what goes on in the Congo and the fact that so many people have um, died and the, the continuing conflict that goes on there. I mean, ever since the Rwandan thing, you know, we, heard, we heard about that because it was so shocking. But what's happening in the Congo is as nothing, or rather what, the Rwandan thing is as nothing compared to what's going on in the Congo and continues to go on. Um, and there is some argument as to how many people have died. Um, is it 7 million people who have been killed by this war, or is it just 5 million? And when I thought, is it just 5 million? I was a bit shocked, even at that idea. Um, and that reminded me of a quote by Stalin, who said, the death of one man is a tragedy, the death of a million is a t- statistic. So instead of writing about this massive, terrible thing that's happened, I wanted just to write about one person. And because I was writing it for the Women's Library in Glasgow, I wanted it to be a very Glaswegian voice. Mango by Laura Marney It's the same palaver every morning. I go and stone in the queue for the pump and they all stone back five feet away from me. Nobody brings a tape measure but it's always about five feet. I take a step for it. They all take a step for it. Sometimes I do it just to wind them up. They're all watching me, kidding on their no, and I take a step, then another one. Then I do a big loud sigh, then I take another one. But this time they're all squashed together round the pump. Dr McKendie shirks me. Lulu, leave them alone. He says, they'll turn on you and you'll only have yourself to blame. I'm nowhere near them, I say. I know what it is. They're jealous of me. They're out there pummeling foo-foo all day with three or four wains to feed and oftentimes nae man at their back. They see me sitting about in the complex getting my dinner put down to me and they're well gel. They think as I sleep in a nice clean ward instead of in the flare of a manky wee hut like they do that I've got the life of Riley. You know, Lulu... Every living thing smells, Dr McKendie says. Deed things stink and awe. Yes, you're quite right. I should say then that all volatile solids, such as you and me, give off esters or organic molecules. Inside your head, here, just behind your nose, he puts his pointing finger in the bridge of my nose. I close my eyes to enjoy it, but he takes it away again. There are neurons, nerve cells, which have cilia, tiny hairs to catch smells. When we breathe in, odour molecules stick to the cilia. That's disgusting, I say. And Dr McKendie laughs. Molecules feet inside my body go up inside their bodies. I'm penetrating them for five feet away. No wonder they hate me. They don't hate you, Lulu. They just don't. Their faces they pull. 
I make them want to puke. They can't help that. It's an automatic response. Our brains are capable of blocking all other sensations excepting smell. For instance, if our brain decides it doesn't like a sight or sound, it can veto it. But smell is the one sense not vetoed by the thalamus. That's why it's so evocative, regardless of whether the memory is pleasant or painful. It's an excellent tool. What's excellent about being forced to smell a rank stench? For survival. It's an evolutionary hangover from when smell meant either food or danger. Having to smell everything is actually in our best interests. Okay, they have to smell me, but they can just breathe it back out again. Actually, they can't, Dr. McKendy says. Any molecule that triggers a response in the olfactory nerve has entered us physiologically, absorbed through the epithelium or the respiratory tract, or it's swallowed. Either way, we ingest it, and then it's part of us. My molecules become part of them. Exactly, but not just yours, mine, everyone's. We're all absorbing each other's molecules, breathing each other's exhaled air. The human body is being recycled all the time. Cells are constantly dying and being replaced. Whole organs completely regenerated. Every baby is simply a reordering of recycled molecules. We're in a continuum with our environment. Is that supposed to make me feel better? I'm not wanting their manky molecules. Dr. McKendy tuts. He wants everything to be fair and everybody to be nice. He's a posh fella if he can chasse her. He doesn't know how things work out here. He does his best to keep the peace with the villagers, but it's no easy. When he fills in the Médecins Sans Frontières forms, he always does a sour wee laugh when he writes The Democratic Republic of Congo. There's nothing democratic about this republic, he says. Yeah, he always says it. He's never done bump these gums about how the DRC is the richest country in the world. All the minerals we've got, cobalt, coltan, diamonds and all what have you. And he gets right steamed up about the looting, especially whenever militia come through. He's not allowed to get involved, MSF rules. But last week a mob of raggedy arsed into the Hamway militia came through and took a couple of men. I say men, but really they were two wee boys, maybe 11 and 13. The boys knew not to make a fuss, but their mammy was greeting and screaming till her neighbours pulled her back and shoved her into a rain hut. Dr. McKendy pushed his glasses up his face and shook his head. Dr. McKendy, I said. I like seeing his name out loud. If a lion comes and takes a zebra, what can the other zebras do about it? He didn't answer. If she'd have kept up that ball and they'd have dragged her away and all, she's got two other ones to think about. Her neighbours did her a favour. I see the lasses in the village struggling to look after their wains. I could give them a horn. I was a good wee auntie in my own village before I got married. But they don't want to know. You don't know me, I say. I don't say it out loud, just to myself. You swallow my molecules, but you don't know me. It was militia that took me. I don't know who they were. They weren't wearing uniforms. RDC, FDLR, they're all the same. I didn't struggle, never made a sound. I just did what Mammy tell us today when the soldiers came. Shut your eyes, keep breathing and think hard about somewhere safe. While they were doing their grunting and groaning, inside my head I was sitting round the fire with my mammy and my granny and all the other wains and we were all singing. Ali, bali, ali, bali, bee. 
That's a my my trademark way of doing it, so they say. Waiting for a wee bobby to buy some coulter's candy. They probably didn't want to use their bayonet and get it all bloody. Then they'd have to clean it. When they let me go, I walked back to my village, but my husband threw me out. I took the peanuts he was going to sell at the market. I'm no thief, but what else could I do? Six days of eating peanuts. First gunners you. I used to pure love peanuts. When I got here, they gave me a bed in the ward and pills three times a day. I thought that would make it heal up. But when I didn't, I asked Dr Gustan and he said, I need an operation. I, I try to make myself useful about the compound. I do all the cleaning and they don't let me cook. And I do everything I can to help Dr McKendy. He says I'm the best assistant he's ever had. Most of the time I'm good. I tell myself to wait, to hold on and hold my wish, but sometimes when I think about all the molecules inside me and my cells, I lose the heat. I start screaming and getting and gone mental. I can't stop myself. He comes and sits on the end of my bed, shushes me, tells me I'm frightening other patients, makes jokes, tells me the villagers think they're killing me in this hospital and they'll They'll not bring their children in for treatment. Good, I say. Dr McKendy knows fine well, I wouldn't hurt a wing. But one time when I was shouting the odds, he lost it and all. His eyes were blazing and he started ranting about the richest country in the world. His face was all twisted and his spit was flying out his mouth. I didn't want to hear it again, but he was squeezing my arm and shouting right into my face. Yes, you want corrective surgery, of course you do. Doesn't everybody? But where's the money to come from? There are just too many. You're not the only one. Don't you understand there are two million of you? Join the cure, Lulu! I know he didn't mean it. He said as much afterwards. He was stressed out. And my shenanigans didn't help matters any. He said he was very, very sorry. No as sorry as I was. I can be awfully selfish sometimes. A couple of days after that, he took me into his office and showed me a letter. I have no idea what it said. So he explained that he was referring me for surgery to another hospital. I don't want to go to another hospital, I said. Don't worry, Lulu. You won't have to go into the bush. We'll put you on a supply flight. But can you not date Dr McKendy? I'm sorry, Lulu. Obstetric fistula surgery is a rather specialised procedure. The doctors in Chamoana perform this operation all the time. You'll be in very safe hands. Well, what about Dr Gustin? I want to stay here. I know you do, he sighed. But this is just a field hospital. We haven't the facilities here. You do understand, though, don't you? Nothing is guaranteed. The, the internal damage. They might not be able to fix it. Will I be able to have children? 23 isn't he too old, is it, Doctor? He squashed his lips together. I don't think we can expect that much, Lulu. I'm sorry. How do we think about that? Will I die? There's always risks with surgery, but you shouldn't worry. I wasn't asking because I'm fit. He smiled at that. You know, there's a famous argument in philosophy about a ship. A ship? I said. 
Sometimes he talks in riddles. I don't mind. If a ship goes on a long voyage and has to replace worn-out planks until eventually every plank in the ship is replaced, are you talking about molecules again? Exactly. You are the only person in this village that takes the trouble to understand me, Lulu. (laughs) I didn't know what to say to that. It's still the same ship. The ship's identity doesn't reside in the individual planks. Ah, yes, yes. I was wondering about that. I was thinking that if every molecule in my body ends up replaced, then how come I still look the same? You're right. Our bodies can't grow new neurons. The central, se- the central nervous system cannot regrow. That's why we can't fix spinal cord injuries. The one thing that remains inalienably unaltered on a cellular level is our brains, and therefore our minds. So even if all my molecules change, I'm still me? Yes. You'll always be you, Lulu. <laughs> we both smiled. I stayed awake all that night thinking about it. It was the best thing he'd ever said to me. I didn't ask him about dying because I was fear. I was just thinking about my last wishes. When I first came to the compound, I told Dr McKendy how I wanted to be buried and he promised me. He said he'd make sure they'd follow my instructions to the letter and I believed him. I've asked to be buried head first, lengthwise. If they plant me upside down, my body can give the seed nourishment. It can grow out my body and up towards the sun. When I first tell him, Dr McKendy went, The seed? For the mango tree, I said. He just nodded, never said any more about it. A young woman with your spirit, there's no reason why you won't make a full recovery. We're going to miss you, Lulu. Miss me? You'll not miss my pishy smell. It's only a smell. We're used to it by now. We'll miss you. Sometimes when I can't sleep in the ward, I can make myself dream. In the dream, there's something growing inside me. It grows and grows till it bursts right out me. <laughs> it's a mango. A mango that big. I need to hold it in the crook of my arm. I peel the skin back a wee bit and there she is, peeking out. A wee baby. When I have that dream, I wake up with the smell of mango in my nose. I, I felt incredibly privileged to be invited to be involved in this, in this um, project, mostly because it is going to become part of history, and it's going to be a wonderful archive, um, and secondly because of the amount of inspiration I've had from just seeing other people's work, the ideas that other people come up with. Some of the other writers, are f- I'm amazed by the work they've come up with, and some of the artwork's fantastic as well. I think we punch way above our weight for talent in this city, and I think it's time that you know we got together more and told the world that. Thank you for downloading this free 21 Revolutions Glasgow Women's Library podcast. To find out more about 21 Revolutions, visit our website at womenslibrary.org.uk. There you can find out about the 21 women writers and the 21 women artists who have produced limited edition artworks available to buy from the library while stocks last. You can also find out more about what we do, why we are special and how you can support us. It's all online at womenslibrary.org.uk.